Welcome to the workshop, The Great Obsession. My name is Yvonne. I'm a compulsive overeater and the moderator for this session. Hello. Help us preserve the cherished tradition of anonymity by refraining from taking pictures in this or any other meeting room. The format for this session is a reading, two speakers, and ask it basket questions. A basket with paper and pencil will be circulated for you to write any questions you may have for the speakers. Please specify whom your question is for. The reading is from the big book, page 30 and 31, more about alcoholism, chapter 3. Most of us have been unwilling to admit we were real alcoholics. No person likes to think he is bodily and mentally different from his fellows. Therefore, it is not surprising that our drinking careers have been characterized by countless vain attempts to prove that we could drink like other people. The idea that somehow, someday, he will control and enjoy his drinking is the great obsession of every abnormal drinker. The persistence of this illusion is astonishing. Many pursue it into the gates of insanity or death. We learn that we had to fully concede to our innermost selves that we were alcoholics. This is the first step in recovery. The delusion that we are like other people, or presently may be, has to be smashed. We alcoholics or compulsive overeaters are men and women who have lost the ability to control our drinking or eating. We know that no real compulsive overeater ever recovers control. All of us felt at times that we were regaining control, but such intervals, usually brief, were inevitably followed by still less control, which led in time to pitiful and incomprehensible demoralization. We are convinced to a person that compulsive overeaters of our type are in the grip of a progressive illness. Over any considerable period, we get worse, never better. We are like people who have lost their legs. They never grow new ones. Neither does there appear to be any kind of treatment which will make compulsive overeaters like other people. We have tried every imaginable remedy. In some instances, there has been brief recovery. There has been brief recovery, followed always by a still worse relapse. Physicians who are familiar with alcoholism agree. There is no such thing as making a normal eater out of a compulsive overeater. Science may one day accomplish that, but it hasn't done so yet. Okay. I think I've, I think I'll continue this a little bit long. Despite all we can say, many who are real compulsive overeaters are not going to believe they are in that class. By every form of self-deception and experimentation, they will try to prove themselves exceptions to the rule, therefore non-compulsive overeaters. If anyone who is showing inability to control his eating can do the right about face and eat like a gentleman, our hats are off to him. Heaven knows we have all tried hard enough and long enough to eat like other people. Here are some of the methods we have tried. <clears throat> eating certain substances only. Limiting the number of items we were to eat. Never eating alone. Never eat overeating in the morning. Eating overeating only at home. Never having it, well, in the house. <laughs> Never drinking during business hours. Um, eating only at parties. Switching from one type of food to another. Uh, drinking only, eating only natural foods. Agreeing to resign if ever, well, drunk on the job. <laughs> taking a trip, not taking a trip. Swearing off forever with and without a solemn oath, taking more physical exercise, reading inspirational books, going to health farms and sanitariums, accepting voluntary commitment to asylums, we could increase the list, that infinitum. We do not like to pronounce any individual a compulsive overeater, but you can quickly diagnose yourself. Step over, 
to the nearest fast food place and try some controlled eating. Try to eat, eat, and stop abruptly. Try it more than once. It will not take long for you to decide if you are honest with yourself about it. It may be worth a, a bad case of jitters if you get a full knowledge of your condition. Our first speaker will be Jerry, who will speak for 25 minutes, followed by our second speaker, Lonnie, who will also speak for 25 minutes. So I'll turn the meeting over to Jerry. Okay. Here's the paper pencil for the Oh, I don't have to worry about that. My name is Jerry, and I'm a compulsive overeater. Um, I came into this program 27 and a half years ago, and by the grace of God, pardon me? Oh, I don't, where do I talk? I have to talk louder. You mean myself? Oh, okay. Tilt it down. All right. It's not a microphone. No, but okay. Um, I have sciatica right now, so I can't be tiptoeing, and I was born short, so this is, you know, this is as much of me you're going to see. Um, um, like I said, I first came into this program 27 and a half years ago, and uh, by the grace of God, I have been abstaining for 27 and a half years, and that's all by the grace, that, that is all by the grace of God. Uh, they asked me to talk about the great obsession of all of us, and that is to um, enjoy our eating, which I do. I do enjoy what I get to eat I, and, and to control. I can't control it. And this is where I came to learn how to, I don't know if it's controlling or what, but when I came in, they gave us a gray sheet. And um, it was a plan of eating. And it told me exactly what I could have. And when I did use that plan of eating, um, I lost weight. And uh, it wasn't like counting calories anymore. Because, you know, all my life I was a calorie counter. And I couldn't put anything in my mouth without worrying about how much it had in it. And even carrots had too many calories. You know, oh, you ate a carrot. You know, that, that's too many calories or whatever it was. And when I came in here, and it told me exactly what I could have. And it told me to weigh and measure my food. So that's what I did. And it was a relief. It gave me the freedom to learn to enjoy my food. And that's what I got by, by using the food plan at that time. And I lost weight. Um, the food plan has given me, um, um, and, and it, it's different from abstinence in that um, my abstinence is my link to God. When I came in, I used to, um, I used to be, you know, I, I was Catholic, and I used to go to, I used to go to communion and go, go to mass and go to communion so that I could have a link to God. Well, now what has become my link to God is my abstinence. And for me, now my abstinence is like my communion. And it's the whole way of thinking, and it's, it's, um, it's, my, it's, my, it's my communion with God, and it's how I work the program. My abstinence is the, the number one thing in my life. It is a matter of life and death. And I heard that when I first came into the program, and I believed it, whatever they told me, because the people that got up there, they had, um, they had what I wanted, and they had lost a lot of weight. And I never knew anyone that had lost that much weight before. So um, but, but, but they, I did what they told me to do. And uh, there was one time where I had a spot where my sponsor had told me, um, I want to eat smoked fish. And she said, um, you can't have it. It has sugar. 
And you know what? It took me a week to decide if I still wanted her for a sponsor because uh, I'm a compulsive overeater. And you don't tell, I mean, I'm real nice and passive and, you know, but don't tell me that I can't have something that I want. And so, you know, it took me a week to decide that do you want to smoke fish or do you want this person to be your sponsor? And she's a good sponsor, so I don't have smoked fish. And uh, that was something that uh, I learned, that whatever is, you know, that um, the program is God. My abstinence is number one. I don't care what I feel like eating, what I want to eat, but my abstinence is number one. so, uh, and, and what I've gotten with the abstinence, you know, sometimes I feel guilty because I, I don't, I know I'm not normal. I know I am not like a normal person. I have, there's, I don't have to go out and prove that I'm normal. But I feel guilty because I'm not. I feel guilty around my family because I can't be one of them. Um, and I feel guilty at work because I can't eat like them. And, um, uh, when I'm getting in, when I'm in and out of relationships, you know, they have to accommodate my food plan. And, you know, I was thinking about this thing with my family. They had wanted me to go to Las Vegas with them. And there's my aunt and them. And, um, they, they drink and they do all that stuff. That's the last place I wanted to be. I didn't want to go on a bus with all the drinking and, and the eating and all that stuff. So I didn't go. And, you know, I said, well, they're not going to like me anymore. Well, you know what? That has nothing to do with it. That's just one thing that I can't do with my family. I mean, I, I eat with them. They eat like I do. But they don't, I don't have a lot of the stuff. They don't care. And I have a lot of other things in common with my family. I have the tradition. We have traditions together. We have family things together. And food is just a part of it. And so for me to think that I am so different from other people, um, I'm not. It's just that I don't eat like them. That's that's the only thing. And um, But I can't. I have become a better member of my family. There are so many other things that I can do for them because I do abstain, because I do practice these principles in, in my affairs. Uh, at work, you know, the other day they were um, making fun of me for um, – because of the way I eat. And they, they were having fruit for lunch. And I took some because I had my, because um, um, I could eat it. Oh, my God, look, Terry can eat. She finally can eat. You know, and I worked with them for 15 years. You know, but it was a big deal that I could eat. I said, yeah, I can. And I had my apple in the classroom. And I thought, I won't eat my apple. And I knew darn good and well. I mean, I'm still a compulsive overeater. And I knew that the reason I wanted that fruit was because I could get more of it. Because I weigh and measure all my food at home. But when I go out, you know, I have what there is. So I was going to have my little, little, uh, this bowl of, uh, of fruit. And they, I knew it was more than my apple. But, of course, at the time I wasn't admitting it. But then they were making this big deal. And I go to my classroom and I say, oh, yeah, I am able. I, yeah, yeah I, I, for once, they, they had something that I could eat here. And, um I go to my, to my classroom, and uh, I'm not admitting to myself that it's uh, too much. Um, and uh, when I opened the door, it fell out. It, it, the half of it fell out. And I went, oh, shit, damn it, I was going to get to eat this food. So then I thought, well, I still had a little bit left. And um, 
I thought, well, it's probably, you should probably just eat that. Then you can save your apple for, for tomorrow. You don't have to go to the store. And I was making all this thing. And, you know, I was really miserable through that meal because I couldn't make up my mind. Well, should I have the half or should I have my apple? And finally I decided, just have the effing apple and get it over with. You know it's weighted measured and you take the other stuff home. Okay, so then I did and I took it home and I waited, I waited for the next day. Well, that half that I had kept from the half that I dropped turned out to be the exact amount. And, um, you know, I just thought, okay, tell me that. You know, okay, God, I, I get the message. I do get the message. Um, there's a story that, because uh, I'm a teacher, and I wasn't that when I came in here. Um, and, whew, that was, I can't even believe the life I used to live when I first came in here. Uh, it's entirely, entirely different. Um, but there was a, there's a story that um, I read to my students, and I read for myself, and I read to my kids, and it's called The Velveteen Rabbit. And in that story, for people who haven't read it, it's about a rabbit who's not real. And he wants to be this real rabbit. And he meets he meets, he meets the skin horse, and the skin, skin horse tells him, "Well, you become real." So I don't know. They leave the rabbit outside, and uh, the, the and he's not real. And so he sees all these rabbits, and he's really excited because he's he's like one of them. And he sees them jumping up and down and jumping up and down. And they have he thinks they must have springs on them. And he really wants to be like them. And they'll ask him, "How come you're not jumping around like us?" And I don't remember what he says, but he can't. He's about, he's not a real rabbit. And then the fairy, the fairy godmother comes to him, and she makes him into a real rabbit. And then he's so happy because he can jump around just like other, uh, he's just like all the other rabbits. And you know what? I can jump around just like all the other rabbits. But I'm not one of them. I'm still not one of them. I came, my substance is different. You know, it's not, my, my whole makeup is different. It is not like all the regular rabbits out there. And when I think of the normal people out there, normal eaters, um, when I think of them, I think they're, um, they're regular rabbits. I'm not, you know. And it's okay because I'm real in here. And this is where we're real. You know, this is where we're all together here. Um, you know, when I, when I came in the, um, um, you know, I have to laugh at myself because although I'm a compulsive overeater and I've been abstaining for all these years, there's no way that I am um, not what I am. I'm still a compulsive overeater. I don't care whether I look like one or not. At the beginning of the year, we were having this uh, after-school meeting and, um, we had, um, um, the, I don't know, people from the district were coming to, to the school, and I was in my classroom because I wanted to have my nice, peaceful meal in my classroom. So I had a baked potato that I was making in there, and I had all my stuff in there. And um, I have a microwave, and we're not supposed to have microwaves in the classroom, but we do. And um, so I made this baked potato, and it started to burn. And I like them burned. You know, but the fire alarm went off, and we were having we were having the superintendent come. You know, and we're not supposed to have these things in our classroom. And so I thought, oh shit, damn. Oh, and I was just a nervous wreck, and I was telling God, oh God, just get me out of this one. And then the custodian comes in, and he says, um, 
said, the fire alarm's going on. It's pointing to this room. And I said, oh, I, just, I was baking a potato. I, I, what's his name? It's coming in. I said, and I have this potato in here. And it, and it started to burn. And when I was like, let me leave. I should just leave. And I had all these plans. How was going to get out of there? Because I thought, oh, I need to do is lose my job because I'm baking a potato, you know, in the classroom. And that would not really look, you know, I, I, you know, I have all these uh, horrible you know, imaginings about losing my job because I'm baking a potato. So then, the, and then he says, well, okay, I'll tell him it was a false alarm, but the fire department is already here. And I, oh, God, I could not believe that I did that. He says, I'll just tell him it's a false alarm. Oh, and then, you know, I went ahead and ate the baked potato and had my local meal. <laughs> to the meeting with the superintendent. But I mean, I just cannot believe how God gives me these reminders of what I am. Just because it doesn't matter how long I've been abstaining, that doesn't matter. I still am what I am. And I'm never going to be anything but Jerry, a compulsive overeater. There's a lot of things that have gone on in my life. When I came in, I was, um, oh, I was young. Um, I was 29 years old. I didn't have a job. I had two little girls at, at, at home, and I was a homemaker. And um, after I uh, came in, when my kids went to school, I started uh, to help out at school, and I was a, a teacher's aide. And um, then I went to, then I went back to school, and I became a teacher. And um, then I got my master's, and um, I got divorced. And, um, I, um, and, you know, my kids don't live with me. They both live up in Berkeley living their, their lives, not my life. They're not living the kind of life I want them to live, you know. Uh, they're living what they, what they want to live. So um, nothing in my life is what it was 29 years ago. But I have done things that I never, would I, that I never could have done without the support and, God's, and God that I have gotten in this program. My life has been is entirely different. Uh, I don't know how long it was that I was abstaining, and I said, well, when I'm abstaining for 29 years, I'll decide, because I was 29 when I came in here, and when I'm abstaining for 29 years, then I'll decide if I want to eat or if I want to abstain. And it's not 29 years yet, but... After abstaining and being in this program for 27 and a half years, I would not trade it. I would not trade this way of living for any for the way I used to live. I don't care what I used to eat, you know, any of that kind. I don't want that food anymore because of the life that I get to have because of this program, because of my abstinence. I don't have to be normal. And uh, even though I look normal, I don't eat normal, and they can make fun of me for not eating normal. But you know what? I'm not normal in a lot of other ways, too. You know? Um, <clears throat> I, you know, I don't know, I don't know what this is. When you're short, people just think they can make fun of you. And so the other day, and this, this happens all the time, the other day at work, um, one of my coworkers, it was a staff meeting, I don't know, she came out with some remark that, I don't know, they weren't going to bolt down anything that's below five feet. So, of course. Someone had to say, oh, Jerry, they're not going to bolt you down. And, you know, um, uh, you know I, and I had to think about that for the while. That was an insult and all this kind of stuff. Well, you know what? That is a, that, that's, a, that's something small. I don't have to worry about being short. You know, being short is not 
I, it's so what? I am. So is Roseanne, by the way. And it's okay with her, you know. So I guess it could be okay. It should be okay with me, too. But, you know, when I was young and growing up, they used to make fun of me for being fat. And they don't make fun of me for that anymore. And that, for me, was awful. I really hated being made fun of all my life. And um, so now they can't do that. They can't make fun of me for being fat because I'm not. I might think I am sometimes, but to the regular rabbits out there, I'm not fat. I'm just short. Uh, and... Um, Wow, five minutes. I, I, I had a, I had a, I had a um, panic attack when I got the paper and said I had to talk for 25 minutes, and I've been talking for 20. Wow, I can't believe it because that was my biggest hang-up. It wasn't so much talking; it was a matter of talking for 25 minutes. I thought there's no way I can last for 25 minutes and not really talk for 20. So that just leaves me five. Um, <laughs> I was uh, this this week in my classroom. I had to I had the kids uh, write a dream, uh, write about their dreams, and they had to do a two 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 pages, and they did dioramas and maps of their dream world. And a lot of the girls were going to you know get married and live happily with. So whatever, and uh, the boys were all in dragon world because they like to draw dragons. And so, you know, they had all these, you know, wonderful dreams, and then we made dream catchers. Well, anyway, they asked me, what's your dream, Miss A? What was your, what, what's your dream? And, you know, when I was um, in, in third grade, my dream, even then, because I was born a compulsive overeater and I was fat from the time I was six months old, uh, so when I was in third grade, um, my dream was to be thin and to marry Elvis Presley. <laughs> I was madly in love with Elvis Presley. And um, my room was full of his pictures up on the ceiling all over. I don't know how my parents could stand having such a weird kid. And... Um, so, but, so I thought, okay, I'll do something. I'll do something. And I wrote this two-page thing about Elvis Presley and, uh, and about um, Elvis Presley came to Barrio Logan, which is where I used to live in San Diego, and we both went to eat, you know, Mexican food, and we fell in love, and, I, you know, all, all this kind of stuff, you know. And, you know, I was walking to Mass one morning, and he came in to pick me up in his pink and black Cadillac. And um, anyway, I had to finish high school with all this kind of stuff in this little story in this dream. And then, you know, we, it was so wonderful that, that he asked me to marry him, and we got married and all this kind of stuff. And then the dream turned into a nightmare. It turned into a nightmare because we both loved to eat, and we couldn't stop eating. And no matter where we went, there was never enough. And I was miserable. It had turned into a nightmare. So I found a place where there were people who understood and who helped me, and I prayed to God. And God and this group helped me to lose weight. And I told Elvis, and um, <laughs> Elvis couldn't stop eating and taking drugs. And, um, you know, so now in my dreams, you know, Elvis is singing to me from heaven, singing, love me tender, love me true, all my dreams fulfilled, for my darling, I love you, and I always will. And, you know, that's, you know, I don't want to judge whether Elvis was a compulsive overeater, but most likely he was, you know. And, um, you know, God does answer 
Uh, you know, he answered half a dream. Because the rest of it would have been a nightmare. I mean, in case it ever would have happened, you know, yeah, right. <laughs> but just in case, you know, he answered half a dream. And I'm very grateful, you know, and I am so grateful. I think of when I first came into this program and the atmosphere, the atmosphere. I, I don't know why I didn't take, why I didn't just say, oh, well, I'll start on Monday. I don't know why. Because there was something that was going on then and now. But, you know, I would always be starting diets. What was it that came between me and taking, using those diets? And, you know, I'll do it tomorrow. I'll do it tomorrow. I don't know what it was, except that I know I kept coming back so that those diets that I was going to start tomorrow, I never had to do that ever again. And for that, I am very, very grateful. And that's all I have to Thank you, Jerry. I think I added wrong, so I think you only spoke for 20 minutes, but that's okay. I think it probably worked out. <laughs> There'll be more room, uh, time for questions. Anyway, our second speaker is Lonnie, who will speak for 25 minutes. <laughs> I'm Lonnie. I'm a grateful, outstanding, compulsive overeater. I'm a little taller than Jerry. Hi, <laughs> Lonnie. Thank you. Abstinence and food plans and the Great Obsession. I came into this program about 17, almost 17 and a half years ago, not quite 17 and a half years ago, and I walked into this program about 340 pounds. In this room today is someone who was there that night. And I came here filled with fear, which I was later to be able to define, but fantasy, which I lived all of my life in at that point, and definitely into the great obsession. I can only define it for me. I can't really define it for everybody else. But for me, I was going to be thin, rich, blonde, alabaster breast. <laughs> Don't ask where the alabaster breast come from, but I also read a lot of fantasies, and they all had it. You know, they all. I don't care what the dark hair was. They all had it, and I wanted it. Um, I came in here at about 340 pounds. I'm here to tell you today I'm down about 160, give or take a lunch or dinner. And um, no alabaster breast. And I didn't understand really the difference between abstinence and food plans, and, and often I've had newcomers come up to me and, and even ask me, and I, I didn't go up to anybody and ask, I just listened a lot, because you see there were secrets in here, and I needed to know them. Um, but the newcomers would come up and they would ask, what is abstinence? And I did what they did to me. I smiled and said, keep coming back, because I figured, you know, if I hung around to figure it out, hell, you'll hang around to figure it out. Okay? And it was a long time before I could kind of get a grip on the difference the difference, and I've often over the years defined it many different ways. I have to say this also, that God does for me what I'm not able to do for myself. If I was able to abstain from compulsive overeating on my own, I'd be at home trying to figure out what Tom Selleck's telephone number was and give him a call see if Mrs. Selleck would free him up, you know, because I'm available, okay? <laughs> I can't, be, I, I couldn't tell. That, 
Nobody gave me the food plan. I came in a little bit later than Jerry, so by then the food plan was something that wasn't discussed. I heard about the gray sheet, didn't see a gray sheet, fine. Because I think at the time, I, I believe, that I, I wouldn't, I don't know if I'd been able to deal, and I don't know if I'd been willing to do it. But my first clue on the abstinence was the difference between, for me, abstaining and having a food plan was in abstinence, I was able to stop. And that said it all to me. My meals began and ended, and then lunch happened, and they began and ended, and dinner. And at the time, I was probably a little more than one month in, in attending meetings. I had also been taken to the dreaded 100-pounder meetings where I was fascinated by those people, <laughs> them people. And um, what I got, though, was what I heard there early enough that I could hold on to this much, that my meals could end. Abstaining for me is I'm no longer practicing compulsive overeating. I am a compulsive overeater. I was born 12 pounds, 8 ounces. I was born a compulsive overeater. Honey, I was so big, one, they knew I was coming. They could have bought me a tricycle and saved me a piece of cake. Okay? Because I was on my way and I was a big girl. Um, so I, I'm always going to be that. When I, and I had no food plan. I had no defined plan at the time. At the time. Um, and I was an active 340, fast moving, get out of my way when I'm in the mall kind of woman, and I could part a crowd. And you know something? I just, they don't move as fast for me today as they used to. It's, there's something with it. <laughs> but, I can, but I could stop. I could stop eating. And it was a long time before I could stop eating and raise my head from the plate and stop thinking about it. All I was, I wasn't told I had to stop thinking about it. I was just told that my meals could begin and my meals could end. And I was able to do my job in between. And then I got a lunch and, then I, and, and, and ate everything in about eight minutes. It takes me a long time today to eat a meal. I actually can have the behavior of somebody that breathes <laughs> while I eat. I, I'm not kidding you. Early on, I would hold my breath. I can remember my daughter sitting at the dining room table in my first maybe three, four, six months of abstinence, and they'd go, Mom, and they'd be breathing, and I'd raise my head and go, what? And they'd say, slow down, and I'd be, why? It's mine. Nobody said I had to eat it fast or slow. They said I had to stop when it was over. And many, many times I would, I would announce to a room, whether it was filled or not, it's over. And people look at me like, what? doesn't matter. Okay. It's and I get it again. And I'm saying all of this, I think, to say that as a compulsive overeater, I do not have a normal relationship with food. That sets me apart from my fellows who are normal eaters. They have a normal relationship with food. I do not have a normal relationship with food. Whatever it means to me, whether, whatever it represented, whatever I need to run and hide from, I, I, I had those issues. I had issues that had to be taken to appropriate places. Whatever, it doesn't matter. I became a compulsive overeater a long time ago. I became a sneak eater as a very young girl. It held me when I needed it, and it almost killed me. And I've heard many people come, talk about coming to this program suicidal, and I've never consciously had the thought that said, you know, I really just want to die. 
I had some of the strangest fantasies in the world, though, because space aliens were going to suck me up, figure out that I was overweight from the rest of my normals, take the fat out, tighten up my thighs, make them about 18 years old, drop me back in, and then, and, and then I would worry about how am I supposed to explain this to my family. <laughs> and that was one of the better ones. I won't even take you to some of the other ones. I spent weekends of time, week, just, just years on weekends in the movies, in the dark, with a large woven basket full of whatever I could say, always drinking Diet Coca-Cola, thank you, but um, in the movies, hiding, hiding, not wanting to be seen. I did not want anybody to know how much I ate. The heck with the fact that I am, you know, the weight is, I'm, I'm, at this point, I'm over 300 pounds. Something's happening, but I didn't want anybody to see it. And usually right around about, by 7 o'clock in the evening or so, I lightened up because I did not want my family to see how much food I was actually packing away on a daily basis. So to be able to have a meal that ended, because my meal started about 5.30 or so in the morning when I had that quiet time with myself, and I would eat a cake, rebake it, and take it to work with me that day to share with the office. Uh, and many, many mornings I did that. So my, my eating started very early in the morning and lasted and then lightened up around in the evening time so that nobody could see what I was doing. So. That abstinence term for me, which I didn't really think about too much. I just know that people talked about it all the time. I figured it must be a food. But I, I also never said terms like, I'm on a losing abstinence. I hear people say this often. I really, I, I don't question them because we each learn as we, grow, you know, as we go along. Um, but you have a food plan. You're, on, you're, eat, you're eating food that your body is able to burn. You're exercising, hopefully. Or whatever it is that you're doing, if you are taking in less and you are burning more, you will lose weight. I always thought that was kind of a scientific thing. And if not, then, then you won't. And that, to me, is defined as a food plan. I have not had food plans most of my time in Overeaters Anonymous. Have a food plan, which means that I do have a plan. I'm not saying I follow it explicitly all the time. I have one. You know, I weigh and measure the important things. There are things that I won't weigh and measure. I won't weigh and measure romaine. I won't weigh and measure the spinach. There's, and I eat a lot of that stuff, by the way. There's just places that I don't go with it. And you know what? That's a yet because I just haven't done it yet. That doesn't mean I'm not going to or, or I'm not going to be willing. Um, in, this, in this great compulsion, I think I never wanted to eat like a normal eater. I think normal eaters are sick. <laughs> I'd much rather hang out with you guys. Okay? I want to eat what I want to eat when I want to eat it. I don't want anybody to get in the way of it. I just don't want to pay the price. I don't want to look like that. There lies the dilemma. If I eat that way, I look that way. No matter how I might want to cut it up and explain it and justify it, for me, you know, that is the great truth. I'm always going to be a compulsive overeater. Thank God I have this program because I've heard so many of you talk about um, what you eat or what you don't eat. The first time I heard someone say it was at the 100-pounder meeting, and this man said from across the room, thank God, um, he didn't eat sugar and he didn't white flour, eat white flour. It took every corpuscle I had not to stand up in the room and call him a damn liar. It took everything I had. The only reason I didn't do that is because I had not seen anybody else in, in, in a meeting do it. I didn't understand crosstalk. I just knew that nobody else did it. Best I better shut up and listen, you know? Another a strong part of abstaining for me is I was able to sit and listen to the speaker today 
and not try and sit and put together how, you know, how clever I thought I might, was going to be able or what message I thought I was going to deliver or whatever. I was able to sit and listen and be in the moment and listen to what the speaker said and then to ask God, you know, to just help me carry the message here for Overeaters Anonymous and, and, and to talk about my recovery. Um, so early on, there was no food plan. There was enormous meals. Trust me, if I ate that way today, I, I, we can't talk about it. But, there, but my meals ended, and because my meals ended and I kept going to meetings, I was able to um, get more of a definition on abstinence. And yet if I were to try and define it like this is a piece of paper, it is written on. I can't do that for you. I really can't do that. But abstinence for me has to be and is greater than my food plan. And recently I said something, um, I was with my sponsor, and I said, you know, well, I guess we were talking about being able to eat at various places, and I said, um, my abstinence is really flexible, and she corrected me on the spot, and she said, your abstinence is firm, your food plan is flexible. And I went, ooh, ooh, let me tattoo that one on my chest, because I need to remember that, you know, and be able to quote it correctly, and, and you know something, I, I, that is absolutely the truth. I have a food plan, that is flexible enough that says, I, if, if, if the group decides to, we went to the deli today for lunch. I'm not a deli woman. I don't care for deli food. It's not my favorite thing. Never was, never cared, whatever. But, you know, I was able to go over there, find exactly what I wanted in exactly the manner I wanted it. It was served quick, efficient. I was a happy girl. And I get a dinner tonight. Life is good. Okay? And in the meantime, in the meantime today, but not early on, not, not in those days when I did not breathe until half of what I was going to eat was gone. And, 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 and today I did not even worry about it because I know it's a given. I'm going to get a meal. Trust, I didn't feel that way last night right after the performance because I hadn't had a dinner and thought I was going to die until I got one and got one and, and it was okay. I don't eat that late normally, but, you know, sometimes that happens. Um, but so my food plan says, I can, that there's some flexibility, that I can go places, that I can just about go anywhere and find something that fits within the way, I, what I want to eat and eat it the way I want to eat it and I, and I will be all right. But my abstinence, my refraining from practicing the disease of compulsive overeating encompasses a lot of things and I learned them all in Overeaters Anonymous. It encompasses um, being truthful. Man, I'm a great liar. You know, it comes out today, immediately, immediately there's that bad feeling, and I have to go make that right. You know, I have to make it right. Um, it has to do with how I carry myself. I have a personality that for years I, I fell back on, on, on this um, snappy answers to stupid questions. <laughs> and I decide it was my game. I've never lost the game. 340 pounds, I lost. I messed up somewhere, didn't I? But I've never lost the game. You give me a snappy, you give me a stupid question, I'm going to give you the snappy answer. And if you're not happy with it, that's too bad on you. You shouldn't ask me the question in the first place. So it's like, don't cross wits with me if you didn't bring a wit, because I'm not going to be merciful when we, when we verbally engage. Trust me on this. <laughs> this. This got me, this contributed to my disease, because it did not contribute to my recovery. Often I've had to ask myself, Lonnie, is this action you're getting ready to take contributing to your disease or your recovery? As soon as I ask the question, you know what the answer is? It's contributing to the disease. Because when I'm in good action, I don't have to stop myself and ask. 
Am I contributing to my... Hell no. Hell no. When I'm, in, when I'm getting ready to mess up, okay, when I'm getting... And, 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 and Overeaters Anonymous, you people, I, I, I listen and I learn. Um, I listen to long-timers. You know why? They've been around a long time. They've already walked some paths that I want to walk because I want to be a long-timer. You know, I want to be a combination of my sponsor, Doris Siegel, who is dead, God bless her, and Tina Turner. <laughs> right. You know, so I learned, I learned the things I needed to know, and I don't grapple, I don't, um, I don't, I don't analyze everything anymore, and I don't play snappy answers to stupid questions anymore, by the way, because part of my recovery was learning to shut up. To shut up is very difficult when you already know the answer in a nanosecond. And you can just pop it right out there. And, and you know what? It's really difficult to shut up. And so it meant that I prayed a lot. Let me, and, and this is a result of abstaining. This is part of practicing the abstinence and not practicing the disease of compulsive overeating, which, which for me also bled right into my behavior. Not just my behavior with food. That was really obvious. But my behavior as a person. Um, my grace and dignity as a woman, you know, and, and, and the difference between, between some humor and hardcore sarcasm, which I could pass off as very humorous, you know. Um, to be a softer person, I've often been called in on my current job right now, often called in for, for let's say, conflict management or, what, you know, resolution and stuff, and I'm very good at it. I'm very good at it because I've been on the other side of the spectrum. You know, I, I was an employee in a place where I went from being a valued, wonderful employee to being written up for, for, for messing up. I used to go to sleep at my desk. Right, right, right about the time I came to Overeaters Anonymous in 1986, I used to doze off at my desk. I was in aerospace. That's a firing offense. You know, well, when you eat the way I ate, you eat a cake before you go to work. You're going to go to sleep. <laughs> You're not going to be real bright and alert on that one, children. There's no such thing as making a normal eater, I believe. There's no such thing as making a normal eater out of a compulsive overeater. But there is such a thing as we can be in recovery. And that, that meant a lot to me then, and it means a lot to me now. When I started out, like I said, I started out just that there was an end to things. I didn't worry about weighing and measuring. I don't think I could. There reached a point when, and I'd given up a considerable amount of weight, uh, they reached a point when I, I was in trouble and I had to ask for help. I asked for help in the program of Overeaters Anonymous. I went to somebody that I had later on. My friends went, my God, you called him? Yeah, I called him. He's kind of, he, was, he was kind of scary to us at the time. He had longer abstinence. He was, as far as I could see, working a good program of Overeaters Anonymous, not his own. Um, he, um, he, he was a 100-pounder, and he had given up his weight and was keeping it off. And I am attracted by that kind of person because I want to be that. I want to have that for me, and I want to be able to pass it on for you, to you. Um, I, I learned how to pray in this program. My early prayers before I met you, I hated my boss with a passion. She hated me back. I used to pray for her that she should have a horrible, fiery death on the 405, <laughs> requiring a helicopter to come and get her and, you know, fire off. And you know what? I never got that prayer. Thank you, God. I never got that prayer. 
later on in this program, as I was as I was trying to abstain and, and learn how to work the program of Overeaters Anonymous and work the steps, I was taught a different way to pray. I was taught that I was supposed to, I was taught the freedom from bondage prayer, but I paraphrase it, that um, that she be given health, love, happiness, peace, love, and joy. I no more meant that, that I meant anything. I didn't mean that. You know, that hurt me to have to do that. That, that was horrible. The, fir- the very first day I did it, I got down on my knees and I said, God, you know, I don't like this bitch. <laughs> but I was told by some people that I had to do this. And so I did. And I did. And I did it for quite a few days. I, I-, I didn't know numbers. Don't give me numbers. Don't tell me to do something seven times for seven days because I forget. Okay? Um, but I did it. And, you know, I'm a great prayer because she got a lot better. <laughs> and... A few weeks into that, weeks, thank you, not those days that I hear about, but a few weeks into that, I, I started to ask for something for myself. I began to ask for that I be given patience, kindness, tolerance, and love, because I read it somewhere, because I'm not that creative, so I like listen to what people, and I, you know, kind of incorporate. And I started really wanting that. I started praying really hard for that, and somewhere along the way, I began to pray that she be given whatever I wanted for me first. She got really good. <laughs> she got so good, she used to walk down the hall and like, look at me, really different. And I thought, wow, I prayed great. I had fixed her. <laughs> because of the lessons I learned in here, because I was abstaining, I was no longer practicing the disease of compulsive overeating. I was focusing then on the recovery, which is in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, which was read before, before we started to speak. Because those things were happening, enough of it was happening that I was able to mean it. And I was able to accept and go with things that were happening, just the changes. And I couldn't even see the changes. It was a long time until um, someone, I, I, in fact, I lost a lot of weight. I was dressing different. I was no longer wearing moo to work. I was, dressing, I was wearing regular clothes. And I had to go back to this particular plant. And one of the guards that I saw, he said, wow, he says, you, um, you're really a lot easier to deal with. And I said, what do you mean? <laughs> he knew me. And he said, no, he said, you know what? You're really easier to deal with. I never thought I wasn't easy to deal with. But you know what? I was no longer practicing the disease of compulsive overeating. Oh, I had a lot, a lot of stuff to learn. A lot. Um, I still do. One of the good parts is the older I get, the less I know. So it means I have to shut up less and listen more. And I get to learn a lot more. I no longer live in the great obsession. Yes, if Mrs. Selleck kicks him out, he definitely can have my telephone number and call me. Yes, but, but that's a joke today. I no longer live in the great obsession. I go to movies today and I sit in the dark. I do not eat in the dark. I cannot eat in the dark. There's nothing wrong with eating in the dark. If you want a snack in the dark, that's you and your business and your sponsor and your food plan. It just doesn't work for me because I came close to killing myself in the dark, pretending. I tried very hard not to pretend, not that I don't like a good romance still. I still read them, and I still want to go to the movies, and I want to have a good time. And I do. I still go to the movies all the time, and I still have a good time. But I don't have to practice the disease that kills me. I can be out of, the, out of that obsession. I can abstain. I can, I can pray for you and myself. If I have a resentment, I can talk about it honestly. What does honestly mean for me? It means I have to first talk about what was my part. 
I wasn't just standing there polishing my halo when somebody came along and stepped on my toe. It, I wasn't doing that. I wasn't doing that. I might sound like that for the first couple of minutes, but the truth is I've done this enough that I've had to go back and go, all right, what was my part? The heck with what, what the other person's part was. What was my part? Do I want to do this? Well, actually, today is yes, but most of the time the answer is no, not really. You know, I was having a lot more fun the other way, but I was dying the other way. Separating, trying to separate the difference between abstinence and my food plan. Now, if my food plan goes completely kablooey, and I just start eating like there's no tomorrow, for me, there might not be a tomorrow. Okay? In abstinence. So I have to try and incorporate, and, and, and sometimes separate, and sometimes not. Like I said, I don't, I was asked to, you know, to talk on a topic, but um, I try not to debate things all the time, but I do understand that there is my plan of eating. I think it is healthy for us to have that. There is my abstinence. How do I live my life? How do I work the program of Overeaters Anonymous? You hear me stress that a lot? It's because Lonnie has a program that got me here. I have to be really careful when I start when I start saying I'll work my program. I already know what my program is. I'm trying really hard to work Overeaters Anonymous' program because it's treated me a hell of a lot better than mine did. Okay? And served me a whole lot better. You know? So um, doing those things daily, rigorously, keeps me out of the great obsession that I can eat whatever I want to eat and won't have to pay the price. Years and years ago, I met two little girls. One was three, and I think one was seven at the time. And I was babysitting. And the seven-year-old, she didn't even know me. Today, today they're still in my life, and they're not three and seven any, long, any longer. They are young women in college. But the seven-year-old came up to me and she said, wouldn't you like to eat everything in the world and not get fat, or, or eat all the chocolate in the world and not get fat? And I went, oh, my God. You know, yes. <laughs> yeah, that was my great fantasy. That was my great obsession. Um, today, I don't want to live in the obsession. I've already been there. I've met it. It brought me to my knees. It will kill me. Um, I'm one of those that I'm a believer. Um, you hear the alcoholics say this a lot, that if they drink, they die. And I think compulsive overeaters, we get real glib with it because, you know, we get fed the, um, um, what is it, the magic bullets, the diet pills. The, what is it I read recently? And i got to tell you, I had about 30 seconds of the hypnosis again. I actually had the hypnosis a long time ago. I forgot that was something that I did a long, long time ago, way before I ever was, to come, was in the program. And I did the hypnosis. And it was wonderful. It worked about every fourth day. I slept real good. I didn't lose any weight, but I slept really good. And, and I trusted the man who was doing it. And there was about four or five of us that would go out, and we had whatever sessions, and he was going to make the tape, and then we listened to the tape, and they were going to be tall, thin, blonde, with alabaster breasts, right? <laughs> I wanted that. Until he said, I want to, he says, now, on this session, I want to address your, your inner child. I never heard that word before. Your, I want to address you when you were, every alarm I had went off. I thought, you won't be able to hit the time. You know what? He couldn't make the session work that day. He said, and I remember saying to him, uh, what it is, oh, he was very explicit. He said, I just want to uh, tell you that you don't have to clean your plate. And I thought, you could tell me that right now. And he said, no, and, and well, anyway, we did the session. The hypnosis didn't work. You know, it did not, it did not give me what, what I wanted it to give me. But I was in that obsession. Once again, I was looking for the silver bullet, the magic pill, 
the something that was going to just do it. Not even knowing that you people existed. That there was a program for people like us. That there was a way of living that, gave, that, that would give me more joy and more happiness than I was ever to know. And I'm not saying times haven't been rough, people. It, it, is, it is Rockies out there sometimes, you know. Um, if I were to offer you any suggestions, it would be stay. Good, bad, indifferent. High, low, fat, thin, whatever. Stay. It has been the thing that saved me. Last Friday on my job, it was, thank God it was casual Friday, I slipped and fell. And I'm 60 years old. And I fell hard. I don't know anybody who doesn't fall hard when they fall. But anyway, you know, all of me hit the floor and it wasn't, unfortunately there weren't that many people there. And I, my first thought was, oh my God, I'm frightfully embarrassed. And as people came over to help me, I said, oh my God, I'm frightfully embarrassed. But please give me some space because I knew that I wasn't really hurt bad, but I hurt my knee. And I have bad knees. And I thought, I'll just stand out here on the floor for a few minutes, and I'm going to stretch out a little bit. And I did. I stayed right there on the floor, and I started to very slowly stretch out to kind of see what, and that's not why I'm wearing the foot brace. That's another story. And um, <laughs> another show. Um, anyway, I stayed on the floor for probably about 10 minutes, just, just stretching, and I was fine. And when I got up, I got up and bent all the way over to finish stretching and kind of come up and stretch the back. Let me check out the little body parts here. And I pulled up my head too fast and spun out and almost hit the floor again. Now I'm scared. I think, okay, I need to sit down. I need to sit my 60-year-old self down. And I've scared everybody else. And actually, um, it went under, under any, any, other, any time other than being in this program, working it, I would have checked myself out, gone to the movies, found that big bag, piled it up, ate myself into oblivion in the dark and pretended because I was so ashamed. Not, you know, 20 minutes later, I just about forgot. Everybody kept coming by and asking me, well, I'm here, are you okay? Yeah, I'm fine. I wish you, you know, if I'm not fine, I'm going to tell you, and then I'm going to go and, and take care of it. I, I wasn't embarrassed. I tripped and fell. I see other people be embarrassed, and they do things. We make mistakes. I make mistakes. You know, I am all right. If I'm not all right, I'm going to raise my hand and say, you know something? Tell my boss I'm not all right. I think I need to go take care of this. He's going to say, please do. Honesty is a, is a strong part of abstaining for me. Am I perfectly honest? No. Is my food plan perfect? No. Do I work the steps of Overeaters Anonymous perfectly? Absolutely not. I came to grips a long time ago. Don't ask me where I got all this stuff. I went to a lot of meetings and did a lot of service and listened to a lot of people. But I came to grips a long time ago with the fact that I'm not perfect. I'm not going to be perfect. I never really wanted to be perfect. I just wanted to live in a fantasy. You know? I'm going to suit up and show up to the best that I can. I'll give you all that I have to give you, and if I don't have anything for you, I will tell you. I have no experiences in that area. I can't give anything to you, and I'll try and help you find somebody that can and help you because that's the way I was guided and directed. Um, and always, always with the suggestion that come back to Overeaters Anonymous. Just keep, keep coming to the meetings because, trust me, the, my answers have never been out there, and I have found almost all the answers that I need to have a happy and productive and meaningful life in here. I think my time is up. Thank you for letting me share. I think the ask it basket is back there. Could someone pass that up, please?
bucket basket. Okay. Well, I guess we'll stand up here. Good idea. Question is, Jerry, how much time do you spend on a daily basis developing a relationship with your higher power by prayer and meditation? Okay. Um, I um, get up at 4.30 in the morning so that um, I can uh, do my prayer and meditation. And I uh, meditate for about 20 minutes. And um, <clears throat> then I write um, three pages to God. And I always write something from the big book because I read the big book. big book has been a, my, my recovery has been, and I read the other ones, but the big book is my basic recovery. And... Um, the night before, um, as I've gotten older, I've um, not want I, you know, I'm afraid to get, to forget, and I forget. And so, you know, I had this, this brain theory of mine that if I memorize something the night before, and if, uh, I won't forget it in the morning. And the one thing I never want to forget when they have me in an old folks home is that I don't want to forget what I am. So the night before, I want to imprint it in my brain something from the big book. So I read, um, I read a paragraph from the big book, and then the next morning I write on that, whatever it was that I read. So, um, you know, then, I don't know, maybe that's about 40 minutes in the morning with writing and um, meditation. And sometimes part of that meditation is yoga meditation. And, um, I, and I go to regular yoga, too. Um, and when we, do, when we do this pose where you lay on the floor, and it's called dead man's pose. And it's, um, I like to just breathe in. Breathe in all of God's energy and then let it go through all my body. And no matter what's going on in my life, if I just do that, everything else, it's not that important. That's when I come to the conclusion that God is the number one thing in my life. But in the morning, I get up at 4.30 and I spend about 40 minutes before I go to the gym and then I go to work. And then at night, um, I, do, um, I write from the computer. I write on the big book or the traditions or the OA book, and that's, I'd say, for about another half an hour. And I do um, um, a writing, a tenth step, which is I forgive myself for all the shitheads that were in my life um, that day, and I uh, thank God for everything. And then I say a thank you prayer. I mean, I, I have written this, pro this prayer to God about my kids. And, I, you know, I don't know if that answers the question, but those are the things that I do to uh, have a relationship with God. What advice would you give someone who is still embarrassed and ashamed about being a compulsive overeater? How can I get past this and start letting normies I am close to learn about this part of my life? Okay. I'm trying to stay with the question here. Um, what to do about what what to do about you know, read that for me again. Sure. Yeah. What, if, what advice would you give someone who is still embarrassed and ashamed about being a compulsive eater and how can I get past this and start letting normies I'm close to learn about this part of my life? First part of the question. My suggestion would be to get a sponsor that is working the steps and practicing the, to the traditions to the best of their ability to begin the work the steps of Overeaters Anonymous to come to meetings, to take direction from that sponsor, and to read the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. The program of recovery is in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. And as you begin to work 
those steps to take that action, the shame, the, the, the regrets, the, oh, all the bitterness, all the stuff that we need to clean out, the nasty stuff that's in the closet, gets taken care of when you focus on working the steps, getting a sponsor, taking the right action. As far as, as letting the normies in your life know, I, I share my program all over the place. I share it with people who are not compulsive overeaters, and I have just calmed down enough to let God guide how that happens. It doesn't mean that um, I got over being terminally unique a long time ago, so if, if somebody wants to just, you know, hang it out there, I'm a compulsive overeater so that you're treated special or that you're terminally unique, please take, the, take direction from the first part of the, of the answer. You know, get that sponsor, stay in the program, read the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous, start working the steps. The rest, actually, I believe, and, and for me, it took care of itself. I shared my program, and yet I have been in normal-type normal, normal type situations with normal-type eaters, let me define that, where I did not share my program. And I let that, I, I, I sort of let my heart be the guide on that one. Um, I, I no longer need to just be treated like I'm terminally unique. But it doesn't take very long for the people around me to figure out that I have different food habits than them. I don't explain things anymore. I don't launch in the big, in the big um, definitions of why I don't eat the sugar. People know I don't eat sugar. And you know what? I just tell them I'm not having that today, but I go to worship for 40 seconds because it's so powerful. I know it's good, and I just need to look at it and remember, but it's not mine. And after a while, somebody will go, you know, you, you, you never eat this, do you? And I'll say, well, you know, today is Saturday. I'm not having it today. No, I hope I hope I covered that. Thank you. If you like it. Thank you. I'm Jerry, I'm a reader. Um, the thing I, I still when I'm involved with a new boyfriend, my family's trained, you know, so they already they, they know. Um, whether they like it or not is their their problem. But uh, when I get involved in a new relationship, I do have a problem with that. Um, and I tell them right off. But what bothers me is I don't like anyone to accommodate me. And they do. They have to accommodate me because I can't eat at an Italian restaurant. And there's just certain things that I don't eat. Um, and you know what? It doesn't seem like it's that big of a problem to them. But I'm the one that goes through this. You know, it's, oh, God, I have to eat a certain way. And, you know, that's just, that's, this is what I need to work on. But I have no solutions for that. I just keep working on it because I don't want to give up 27 and a year, half years of abstinence because, of, um, because someone might think I'm weird. That's all. Thank you. How do you keep yourself out of denial? I still have thoughts that I'm not an overeater. You have thoughts that you're not an overeater. The brain is a dangerous territory. It is a bad neighborhood. There are times when, it, when, when, I mean, you know, the brain comes in really handy when you have to calculate, you need to read, you need to work, you need to think, you need to drive. But defining whether, whether you are, you know, a compulsive overeater or not, or, or you have doubts about things, and the brain is in, is in dangerous territory. If you have doubts about whether you are or not, my suggestion is go to at least, at least um, 10 or 12 meetings. Listen to, other, listen to the speakers. Listen to the people who have been asked to leave the meetings, and then, and then make the decision. Um, if you are, it, it's wonderful. Then you're home. Welcome home. If you're not, you certainly will be enriched by what you hear, and you won't be hurt by any of it, and so you won't, we won't have lost anything. Um, if you have doubts about, about whether you are, I think the fact that somebody just thinks that they are, they probably are. 
you know, and just maybe doesn't want to be. It's not, you know, we are not the hip, slick, and cool part of the 12-step program world, you know. Oh, yeah, yes, if we could eat what we want and live that great obsession and not show it. But we are, we, we are not the hip, slick, and cool part. We're the part that people kind of really don't want to admit that they're a compulsive overeater. You know, I was grateful that my very first meeting, it was, God, you're compulsive overeating. There, I'm eaters. There's a name for it. There was a definition for what I've, how I've practiced, how I ate, and how I would be in the middle of Thanksgiving dinner thinking about the next meal already. There was, I was grateful to hear that because I've never had the shame of saying, I'm happy to say it. She fly a flag off of my behind. And, you know, this woman is a compulsive overeater. But, you know, I, but I do recognize that some, for some people that is shameful. And, and I guess I would say keep coming back to the meetings. And, and whatever that shame is, you will, you will, you will find, hear what you need to hear, find what you need to find in the meetings, and you will be able to get beyond that. What are the ways you keep yourself honest about your food? Honest with yourself, your sponsor, and your higher power. <laughs> I'm Jerry, and I'm a compulsive reader. I'll let you answer this. And this is you have a burning desire. <clears throat> um, what was the question now? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what ways do you keep yourself honest about oh, your food? All right. I weigh and measure. I weigh and measure my food. And I go to certain restaurants that I, I know it's pretty much, you know. But left to my own, you know, like I did with the fruit, I know I'm going to put too much, you know. And um, uh, when I go to restaurants, what, what's there is there, you know. But um, I, I weigh and measure. And that's, that's what I've, um, that's how, that's what keeps me, that's what keeps me honest, because by myself, I'm not honest. I'm still going to try to get away with as much as I can, beginning with the food. Yeah, I can cheat and lie and all that other kind of stuff in my life. I don't. But, I, you know, but it always starts with the food. Whatever I'm doing with my food, if I'm trying to push the cup or I'm trying to get away with a lot, I'm usually, or not usually, I'm always trying to get away with something in my life. I write it down. I am honest with it, good, bad, or indifferent. I write it down. I, ch I, I weigh myself once a month. Well, I weigh myself once a week, but I only look once a month. So, <laughs> that's honest. I was, I was taught that once a month, you know, once a month is a reality check, okay? Um, so, if, 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 if I'm up a few pounds, I can't go, but I was so perfect, but I just did it all. Well, obviously, I wasn't, and I didn't. I come from a land where one fruit is a watermelon. <laughs> so let's, let's, understand, let's understand how I look at it. It's a contained unit of one. <laughs> now, the truth is, no, I cannot eat one fruit as a watermelon, but, my, that, but that is where my thinking goes. You know, and if it isn't, then it could be a pineapple, but the truth is I could have, you know, one serving is probably like four ounces of water. It's not one watermelon, but that is how I look at it. We, we, I have friends and we joke and we'll look at a wedding cake and go two breads and one fruit. <laughs> and we laugh just like this. We laugh. You know? And so, and so for me, and, and, and you know, what, thank you for laughing because I like to lighten up. We can be the grimmest lot of people. Lighten up a little bit, people. You know? 
Um, but I, I do. I write things down. I'm, I'm, I'm rigorously honest about writing down. And I also get those opportunities when I sit with my sponsor and I say, okay, I weighed myself and I'm, 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 act, I'm actually up four pounds. And, and so, and, and we, we've done this a few times and, it, and it's been just a wonderful experience. Not that she's writing it down. You know, she's working her program too. But it is the fact that I'm willing to tell the truth and then I tell it. So the action was, I tell the truth. The action is, I write it down. Hell with the willingness. Take good action, the willingness will follow. Okay? Pray to take good action. And then let the willingness come next. But you know what? But I, I do that. And you know, it's not awful. I'm a compulsive overeater. I'm not going to be perfect in the food thing. not going to be perfect in anything. But I do try to be honest with it and not go into, you know, how, how absolutely good I was and all this yada yada. Of course I'm good. I'm a fat girl. Of course I'm good. You know, I'm a good fat girl, but you know what? I try to be honest with the food, and I try to be honest with, with the way that I live. Because if my plate is not honest, my life is not honest. And if my life is not honest, I have a really hard time making my plate be real honest. Okay? So, thank you. That's, that's why I don't eat watermelon at home. I don't eat watermelon at home. <laughs> is abstinence different for different people? Um, abstinence for me is like what I explained that it was. It's a whole way of thinking, a whole way of living. It's my, actually, to me, my abstinence is my link to God. It's my communion with God. It's much different. And food plans are different. We all have different food plans. And I don't know what other people, I don't, I, it must be different for everybody because for me, my abstinence is my communion with God. Thank you. And I'll put a ditto on that. Um, I abstain by allowing God to do for me what I can't do for myself. I can do lots of things for myself. I can tie my shoes. I can do all kinds of things for myself. But you know what? On my own, on my own, I cannot abstain from compulsive overeating. I cannot defeat this disease. And without abstinence, I am not linked to the power that heals me and gives me the recovery on a daily basis. I get it 24 hours if I ask for it and if I stay in a fit spiritual condition with a power greater than myself. And I try to do that, and and it flows, and some days are better than others. Um, But it is, like Jerry said, it is my, my link to God, which then controls how I live my life and how I behave, the action that I take. Do you know anyone who has had weight loss surgery as a tool along with OA program? Yes, I do. Early on in the program, um, I, I was fortunate to hear people who had done the weight loss surgery. I heard stories that just horrified me because way back in my mind, this was what part of the magic deal. In fact, um, before I came to Overeaters Anonymous, and I, I used to be a van pool driver in aerospace, and I had to go take a, a yearly exam, and the doctor there suggested that I go and have the surgery. And I just, I just didn't want to be surged. I did not want to be altered. Okay, I, it was just kind of a little more than I was willing to think of at the time. Um, I do know, I, I know a few people actually that have had it. A, a couple of them had great success with it and then put their weight on very slowly. You know something? 
Oh, and, and then I do know um, um, another person that I'm very close to and love a lot, and, and she's had great success with it. But you know something? She is in the program of Overeaters Anonymous, working the 12 steps of Overeaters Anonymous. And I must tell you, and, and I think she would even affirm that if she were here, it is not the easier, softer way. It is not for me to judge what people decide to do with their bodies. Um, but I, I have not had to do that. I can show you my pictures at just about my top weight, um, and so there would be no doubt as to what my size was when I came in here. Um, if you are really contemplating that, I would ask most fervently that you give Overeaters Anonymous a chance. Give us a chance. Listen to the people who are leading the meetings and go to other meetings and listen to them, and you will hear people that have been just, Three, four, five hundred pounds who have given up their weight. Okay, they have given up their weight. So give us a chance. And if that is your only, the only way to do it, I do not know your, your medical histories. Um, and wouldn't understand them if I did hear your medical histories. But, you know, I mean, if that's what, what you have decided to do, then that's what you've decided to do. Stay with us anyway. My experience with these people is that they need to use, just like us, everything at your command. Everything at your command. Um, and so if, if, if that medical, you know, that surgery, talk to people who have done it. Find out about the, the groups that they go to, um, the support groups that they go to after the surgery and, and how that helps them. Do as much research as you can before you make a decision, I think, to physically alter yourself. Okay? This is addressed to both of the speakers. How do you maintain your spiritual condition? In my daily communication with God, that's how I maintain it. All the things that, you know, it says the prayer and meditation, the writing, um, all these things, that's how I maintain my relationship with God. And you know what? The, the, the main way that I maintain anything is with my abstinence. One of the greatest prayers that I learned in this program was thank you. It is one of the most powerful things I ever heard. I was I, I learned how to accept a compliment. As much as I would like to say, you know, that negative statement that we put on compliments, I've learned to say thank you. So often in the course of a day, um, um, I, I pray to God and I just say thank you. Thank you, God, for making this abstinent meal enough before I have it. Thank you, God, that it ended and I'm fine. Sometimes they're not the greatest meals in the world. I hate to say that, but sometimes they're not. Thank you, God, that I am still abstinent. No matter what, as long as I know that I am in that fit spiritual spot and I am abstinent, everything else will take care of itself, and the next meal I get is going to be just absolutely thrill of a lifetime. Okay? Um, I write in the evenings. I'm a nighttime writer, and I like to just run that gratitude list. Sometimes it looks a little boring, but I'm grateful. And other times it's wildly exciting because, gee, something wildly exciting happened that day, and I get to write about it. I try to... I try to clean my side of the street before I go to bed. I spend too many years of my life cringing over my behavior and hating myself, and I try never to be in that state anymore. So um, I, I, I think I think I do the I do best when I maintain that that gratitude, the fact that I am here among you today. I am all right with myself today. You know, good, bad, indifferent, um, five pounds up, five pounds down, whatever. That does not define my soul and my heart. And so I'm grateful to, to, to be here and enjoy the recovery that is in this place with all of us today. We are all a part of that. Um, I, 
when I forget, and I forget a lot, and I said it ebbs and it flows sometimes for me, I can take a look at either either my language gets worse, my behavior gets worse. I take one look and I'm thinking, uh-oh, that fruit really is turning into that watermelon. Um, I, I, so, something is going wrong, and that something is usually I've not, I've not prayed and asked, and I have to calm down. I can sit quiet with myself these days, but I have to calm down and get the garbage out of my head because it, it'll all get taken care of um, and, and, and pray and meditate. That seems to work okay for me. And we have one last question I think we have time for. <laughs> How do you handle meals uh, when a moderate meal doesn't feel like it actually nourishes you? For example, being stuffed uh, physically with low-calorie high-value foods and you still don't feel like you are, um, your body has been fed? I usually eat. Um, I usually eat, you know, my weight and measured food, but it's food that I like. You know, rarely do I have, oh, just a piece of lettuce. It's all, you know, like baked potatoes and um, sweet potatoes and corn on the cob, you know, those kinds of things, and they fill me up, and I don't eat meat anymore. But I do have, uh, you know, cheese and Boca burgers and all that kind of stuff. But what I do eat, it's food that does fill me up because I don't want to give myself any permission. Oh, gee, you didn't eat enough. You better have a little more, you know. Um, and when I go to a restaurant, mainly it's, it's pretty, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty good. I mean, it's, I get enough. Let's put it that way. Damn, I love it when they talk dirty, you know, when you hear all the food. <laughs> That question, it sounds like somebody is talking about maybe eating a large salad and nothing else. And, and the, the, the key word to me in the question was moderate. Nobody wants to be moderate, medium, average, whatever. We want it to be, I, I'll say, I want it to be special, you know, terminally unique, whatever. Um, and so if, 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 if you're not eating enough to maintain your body, Health in, in health, my suggestion is please go somewhere where they understand nutrition. Maybe you just missed the nutrition. Most of us know a lot about nutrition. We didn't practice it, but it doesn't mean we didn't know it. Okay, you know, we, we have the knowledge. We just didn't use it. Um, and so my suggestion is to, to choose a sane food plan and, um, and stick with it. Talk to somebody. Talk to somebody who has been abstaining, giving up their weight. They, you know, you listen to them, and they're healthy. We're wealth of information here. You know, talk to people who are doing what it is that, that, that you're trying to do and ask them if you can call them and maybe they can help you. But um, it sounds like somebody is just is, is eating. Um, okay, I'll just 